Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis. I'm your host, Michelle. And before we jump into this episode, I'm going to do my best to answer some of your questions. If you guys have anything tennis related that you want answered, feel free to reach out, ask us our questions via email. You can reach us at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 805-270-3336. Now, the first question is a bit of a more personal one, and I've been getting it a bit lately, so I did want to go ahead and answer it the best that I can. The question comes from at Behold81, and he says, Michelle, I've been watching your reviews for a long time and have definitely noticed your fitness transformation. Good job. You look great. What did you change lifestyle and diet-wise? That's a great question, and the answer is going to be a little bit loaded. This is something... That I have been navigating my whole life. I have always been the bigger girl on the tennis court. And for as long as I can remember, I have always dealt with disordered eating and body image issues. So definitely something that is not just an easy answer. First things first, results happen over a long period of time. You're not going to magically see them after a week of hard work in the gym. But speaking personally, I've always been a hard worker. I have never felt like I've been naturally talented athletically, but I've always been someone that's wanted to put in the work. So as long as I've been at T-Dub, I have worked really hard. And it's tough because I definitely have dealt with some hate based on my body size or my body image. And, you know, those comments on YouTube, those ones hurt. And... (laughs) It's hard when someone judges you based on what you look like when you know that you're doing your best. And, you know, like I said, results do take time. So for me, I've definitely dabbled in a lot of different eating styles. I have been paleo. I've done Whole30 with no sugar. I have done low-carb, high-protein. And right now I'm actually eating more of a plant-based lifestyle. I'm about 80% vegan, I would say, which is a pretty clean vegan uh, lifestyle. I've cut out meat, um, cut out dairy and all that. But definitely because of my disordered eating do allow myself some flexibility. And for the first time in my life, I'm actually allowing myself to eat certain foods. I've always been a restrictor where I'll pick foods that are completely off limits and won't allow myself to eat them. So it's definitely a battle day to day. I still am navigating it and some days are harder than others. Now, as far as training, aside from the time I spend on the court, You can find me five days a week in the gym for at least an hour. I like to lift weights. I like to do CrossFit style workouts. I like to do HIIT workouts. I love my time in the gym. It's definitely a way that I can break up the day. I love training, but I also like to run. And that's something that since moving to San Luis Obispo and working at Tennis Warehouse, I've adopted and I try to get about 15 miles in a week. Usually one of those runs consists of a longer run that's about five to seven miles. One of those runs will be some sprints, and then one of those is usually on dirt. I also like to run a mile to warm up, so whether it's before a hit or before a gym session. So I'm definitely putting in some work, but in all honesty, I've been doing this for years, so results do take time, and I also do have to admit 
sometimes when I stress or when I'm dealing with some personal stuff, I default to not eating. So it's tough when you get comments that are positive on your body and you know it's because you didn't really eat a lot. Uh, It's tough when, you know, you've struggled with disordered eating before. So it's almost like a positive reinforcement, like, oh, I didn't eat much that week, but everyone thinks I look good on YouTube. So just kind of want to make people aware of that. It's definitely a podcast episode I'd be interested in diving into. And I know I'm not alone in this. And I know there's a lot of athletes, men and women, that do deal with this. So that's my easiest answer. Results take time. Stick with it. Embrace who you are. Learn what you like. Don't work out and do things that you hate. You know, make sure it's fun, whether it's on a trail, hiking, or in the gym, lifting weights, stick with it. And I promise results take time, but you will see them. Next question. What are some of your favorite lower price shoe offerings? That's an easy one. Go to our website and check the sale shoes. I promise you will find some amazing deals on high performing shoes. That's my first suggestion. Always check our sale shoes. Now, if you're looking just for a lower price point that you can get right off the bat without them having to drop in sale, I have three options for you. K-Swiss Big Shot Light. These are slightly wider, but always a good value. Adidas Game Court. Great on the court. They look good off the court. And then the Asics Gel Challenger. That's one of our favorite lower price point shoes because it does have a lot of the same DNA as the Resolution. So those three, but also check the sale shoes. Keep your questions coming. Keep emailing us at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com. I also wanted to let you guys know that a bunch of us are going to be down in Indian Wells at the BNP Paribas tournament, and we're so excited. I'm also planning to record some podcast episodes while I'm down there. So feel free to send us any questions you have specifically about BNP, whether it's T-Dub's role at BNP or just on-site questions or questions about your favorite players, and I will do my best to get those answers. Now, let's dive into this week's episode. My guest today is an inspirational leader in the athletic industry. She has a deep background in sports, starting with her father, who is Wilbur Wood, a professional baseball player for the Chicago White Sox. She chose tennis as her sport of choice and played college tennis at Rice University, where she became the first NCAA Women's Tennis All-American and was one of the most decorated players in the school's history. She went on to play at the pro level, and fun fact, she was the first female to play on Rod Laver Stadium at the Australian open. Today, she is president for Hoka, One, One, Teva, and Sanuk. And I'm so excited to welcome Wendy Wood Yang to talk tennis and hopefully soak up some of her amazingness in this chat. So thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Michelle. I I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Now, I kind of wanted to start at the beginning and how growing up with a dad who was a professional athlete, how that looked for you and how you even got started with tennis. Sure. Well, you know, it's it's the only way I knew it, right? That's how I grew up. So I, I knew right. nothing else. But it, my dad was a baseball player, as you said, and um, he was a very good one. But he played back uh, before free agency. So um, it was a little bit different back then. My dad used to uh, work as a plumber in the off season. Um, oh, wow. I don't think a lot of that happens anymore. But no, <laughs> yeah, we had a you know, I guess a different way of things, but it was a lot of fun. We would go to Florida in the spring for spring training, and then once school got out, we would go to Chicago in the uh, you know in the summer for the main season, and 
it was pretty neat. Looking back, it was really neat. Nice. And so how did tennis come about for you? Well, um, sadly for my dad, he was somewhat at the peak of his career still, and he was hit in the knee um, with a line drive. And it really is sort of what eventually ended his career, but he did make a comeback after that. But, um, but it was that summer that, you know, we weren't going to Chicago for the summer for the first time. And my mom said, you know, what do you want to do? We're going to stay home and home is Lexington, Massachusetts. We're going to stay home for the summer. You can go to camp, you can do different things. What, what, what are you thinking? And oddly enough, I had been hitting a tennis ball with a badminton racket <laughs> off the side of our shingled house. And the house was also on a hill. So you can imagine the ball would hit the shingle at an odd angle Mm -hmm. and go a different direction and eventually go down the hill. But I loved it. Yeah. And I would stay out there for, you know, for hours on end. And so when this opportunity presented itself, I said to my mom, I want to go to tennis camp. And that's really how I started at age 12. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. And were you an only child or did you have siblings also? No, I'm the I'm the oldest and I have a brother and a sister. Okay. My brother's a year and a half younger than I am and my sister's uh, six years younger than me. So yeah, and we're all very different and have different interests, but we also always had a good time together for the most part. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's siblings for you. <laughs> now, how did that transition work from being a junior player and deciding to go to play college tennis and choosing Rice and all mm-hmm. of that? How did that work out for you? Right. So so I was, you know, playing New England tennis and rose up through the ranks. And, you know, New England was and probably is one of the, you know, the smaller regions and, and challenged with the weather, you know, but as I being a relative late starter at age 12, mm-hmm. you know, junior tennis was perfect for me. I started out playing B tournaments and then I played A tournaments and then I was winning the A tournaments and I was number one in my age group. And, you know, by the time junior year rolled around in, in high school, I, you know, playing division one college tennis was, was a real opportunity, a realistic opportunity for me. And I looked at a lot of different schools and I ended up at, at Rice and, and I'm so glad I did. I had just a great experience. My college teammates remain some some of my closest friends. Oh, and cool. not that we see each other that often, but when we do, it's just like it always was. Oh. Um, so those were really rich formative years for sure. And, you know, Rice is in Houston, Texas. The weather was was great. You could play outdoor tennis year round. I, I improved a lot. We were Southwest Conference at the time, which was very competitive. With the conferences are different now, but you know, big schools uh, we played against and a real rigorous schedule. So nice. Those were great years. Yeah. Now I know for me, as a, when I played college tennis, it wasn't a big deal. But can you speak anything about Title Nine and how, if that was even you know something that you guys spoke about or you realized that it was something that helped female athletes have sure. similar opportunities? Yeah. Sure. So I uh, graduated high school in 1982. Okay. And was definitely, you know, a beneficiary of Title IX, although, you know, it was sort of just getting started, Mm -hmm. right? Not enough time had gone by to have the kind of, girls didn't yet have the access that they certainly do today. Right. And it tended to be, you know, sadly, sort of the country club sports still that you had access to, you know, tennis, golf, and people would consider skiing as well. Yeah. Yeah. so, you know, 
privileged, let's just be honest. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I think at Rice, it was only a few years prior that the the budget for tape for the football team was probably bigger than the entire women's athletic budget. But that changed with Title yes. Mine. And we did have access and we had scholarships and we had funds and all sorts of great things that um, we probably now take for granted. Uh, and I, uh, yeah, I definitely benefited from from that. And then what did the transition look like to the pro tour and how has it changed? Because it sounds like you kind of, you were good at tennis, you were good in juniors, you had the opportunity to play college, but it doesn't sound like you were someone that was born into this sport and knew that you're going to be a professional player at an early age. Not not at all. I mean, I, I was a very good athlete. I got athletic, strong athletic genes from my dad and I was a tomboy growing up and I wanted to be outside playing anything Mm -hmm. and everything. Um, And it it wasn't until I started playing tennis, you know, and then I saw that I had access to play tournaments and I could be, you know, competitive. That was just a whole new world for me. And and I couldn't get enough. But if it hadn't been tennis, it it would have probably been another sport for sure. So by the end of college, playing on the women's pro tour was a realistic opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, that's what I did. I I was very fortunate to have a group of uh, Boston business people that that sponsored me on the tour and enabled me to travel around the world and play unbelievable satellite tournaments across the globe and got to play qualifying for a few of the majors and made it into the, you know, the main draw of the Australian Open. That's what you referenced at the beginning. But yeah, it's it was a scrappy existence then. You didn't travel with a huge entourage unless you were the tippity top. Uh, you're kind of out there on your own. You might share a coach with with some other players. You weren't necessarily traveling in, in the lap of luxury. Right. You were scrappy and sharing hotel rooms or most of the time housing with different families, which was also a great experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because right now there is a huge discrepancy between the top 50 and everyone else. And it seems yeah. like that's always kind of been in play. I think so. And I think back then it was, you know, I don't think it even probably went up to the top 50, quite mm-hmm. quite honestly. You know, but you learn you learn different things from that. The, the biggest thing to me was going from being part of a team in college to now really being in an individual in an individual sport, right? Because right? it's an individual sport, but in college you are part of a team, and mm-hmm. that support network is just huge. Yeah, it's just huge for sure. Yeah, definitely. You don't, you don't totally know what you have until it's gone, type thing. That's very yeah. true. I feel like every college player can agree with that. You don't realize it's there until it's gone, unfortunately. Yeah. Now, do you have any fun tour stories or any friends from the tour that, you know, are still close with you? You know, I really haven't kept in touch with many, sad- sadly, you know, and I, that sort of surprises me. So, you know, maybe this is a good reminder, right? <laughs> it's never too out. late to reach out and, yeah, and you know, renew some of those friendships. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. So what made you stop playing professional tennis? Well, the truth is uh, I lost a lot more than I won. And I, <laughs> I had some great experiences. And that Australian Open result was was definitely the highlight for me. But after about three years, it's like, okay, now now what? Yeah, you, you know, it's the kind of thing when you are uh, when a when you win a tennis match, you don't think you're a better person than your opponent. And I got to the point where I was losing matches and thinking I was, you know, less of a person. And when anything starts to kind of affect your self-worth quite like that, it's time to say that, okay, this is not healthy. 
Yeah. Um, and I and I had given it a good shot, you know. So it was sort of time to figure out what what came next. And that's where I'm so thankful that I had the education that I did have. So I was going to ask, how did that transition go for you? Because I know I'm close with a bunch of players that are, you know, kind of in a similar spot that you're speaking about, or maybe they've got a big injury and they're just not sure what to do next. How did you navigate that? What was your first step into the real world, as they say? Sure. Well, you know, Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture, they had a big presence on the Rice campus. So sort of in my mind, I was like, well, I guess I'll just go work for them now. So I I reached out and actually I ended up with a couple of offers from them. And, uh, and I joined Anderson Consulting, which was a great, you know, foundational job for me coupled with my tennis experience, Mm -hmm. but a tough transition at the same time for me, just because I went from, you know, being outside playing tennis, working out pretty much all the time, to now being in a very conservative work environment at a very conservative company. And that was a huge, <laughs> I, yeah, kind of a, a <laughs> 90 degree, 180 degree switch. Yeah. But I, um, I got some good experience there. I, I toughed it out. I uh, sort of applied that same grit and discipline to that as I did to being a, an athlete. Mm-hmm. And um, and while I was at Anderson, I um, I started attending the evening program at, at Kellogg, working towards my MBA. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very cool. And what happened between that and where you are now? I know you were at New Balance for a little bit. Can you tell us about all those different areas? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I um, when I graduated from Kellogg with my MBA in 1992, Reebok actually was interviewing at the business school. And I landed the perfect job for me, which was the associate product manager in the tennis category. Okay. And that was like perfect for me to sort of combine my, you know, my passion and experience around tennis with my newly minted MBA Mm -hmm. and join Reebok at a time when they were vying with Nike for the number one position Mm -hmm. for a short moment. But it was fast paced, energetic. You know, it was just a great fit for me. I learned, I learned a ton. They advanced me quickly and sort of launched me into, into this industry that I've now been in for 25 plus years and have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, I was going to ask if you did have an inkling to want to be in the tennis industry. And it looks like you did find your way back in. <laughs> Absolutely. And and while I'm not specifically in tennis, you know, in the tennis industry right now, I've been in you know, performance athletic, specifically performance athletic footwear for most of my career. Yeah. And worked on a number of different brands, including Reebok and New Balance and Timberland and now Hoka and Teva and Sanook and Tommy Hilfiger footwear along the way and a, a couple others. So, you know, I've been very, very fortunate. I've, I've learned a ton. And again, bringing that same sort of tenacity and sort of the attitude of resilience to, to everything that you do is, is just a wonderful foundation. And I attribute tennis and my love of the game and the lessons I've learned from winning, but mostly from losing because <laughs> yeah. we all learn more from our losses than from our wins. And uh, those are valuable life lessons. Definitely. Now, how did you end up at your current position with Hoka under Deckers in Santa that, Barbara? <laughs> I know, right? So Jong and I, my husband and I are from the East Coast. Okay. And we have, we have three daughters, Haley, Hannah, and Sarah. And 
both Jong and I grew up in, in Lexington, Massachusetts, and we lived in Concord, Massachusetts in our house for 22 years. And our family and friends, and that was home and in mm-hmm. many ways still still is. But about five years ago, this Decker's opportunity presented itself to come out and, and lead the Teva brand. And shortly after I got here, they added uh, Hoka and then Sanook. And quick, five years goes by and, and here we are. And yeah, uh, yeah Santa Barbara is a beautiful place. Yeah. But I travel a fair amount and I'm able to get back to the East Coast, which is super important to me. Uh, and, and it you know, it is, that's the hardest part of this, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, now, what exactly is your role entail? We know what the title is, but what are you, what are you doing on a day-to-day basis? Sure. So I oversee the three brands. I'm also the president of Hoka. So most of my time is spent on Hoka. It's a super fast growing brand. Right. You know, it's just doing great things. It is growing hand over fist and uh, taking the industry by storm. And it's a ton of fun. So I build the teams that okay. put the strategy in place and I oversee product marketing and the U.S. sales and work closely with our international regions to scale these brands globally. And, you know, what I like most is every day is different. You don't necessarily know what each day is going to bring. Yeah. And business is moving faster and faster. So that kind of keeps you on your toes. Definitely. Now I have to ask, is there any chance that Hoka might get into the tennis industry? (laughs) Well, um, it is a good question, right? We talk about this. Hoka has built its business first and foremost as a running shoe and Mm -hmm. we've expanded and we have a wonderful outdoor line of trail runners and hiking products. And we do, you know, some, some fitness products and it's a wonderful platform that truly is a better mousetrap and people appreciate the products. They appreciate the brand. It's a new brand in the, in a very kind of uh, staid space and it's a very inclusive brand and we do things differently. We're big and we're bold and we're writing a new playbook, if you will. Mm-hmm. And if, and when the brand gets into tennis, we'll do it in the same way, right? In a big, bold yeah. way that's different from how everyone else is doing it. And it would also be super important that we have a, a meaningful technology that is as good laterally as our running and hiking shoes are front to back. So don't count us out. It's okay. probably not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Yeah. And something I do love about your brand is it's very obvious when you see the shoes on people. It's very distinguishable. And also it makes you want to try them. And then the second you get them on your feet, you know that it's Hoka. So yes, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> they even, stand yeah, out. Yeah, for sure. And then even people that like want to hate on it will try them and they're so well made and like such great technology and cushioning that you learn to love it. <laughs> yeah. Never, yeah, they're great. I agree. <laughs> no, that's how this brand is growing is, is people try them, they wear them, they experience them, and then they tell their friends. And once you experience Hoka, it's, it's unlikely you'll go back. Yes, definitely. Um, as we have running warehouse just down the hall, we we know a lot about the Hoka brand, even in tennis warehouse. <laughs> yes, we are frequent visitors to one another's campuses. <laughs> definitely. Nice. Now I have a few more questions about your leadership style and all of that. I know female leaders are seem to be a very important part at Deckers, which I think is amazing. Personally, in tennis, it's a very male-dominated sport and arena. So talk to me about the importance 
experience of being a female leader and how you work to inspire other females? Well, female leaders are important everywhere for a number of different reasons. And yes, female leadership is important at Decker's, but it's still, um, as with most of corporate America, it is more and more male dominated the higher up you go. You know, I think leadership is about first and foremost being a good human, regardless of your gender, and having, you know, high emotional IQ, being real, a real empathetic leader, being, I like to think of myself as a servant leader, where, you know, I'm here to serve my teams and to get obstacles out of their way and Mm -hmm. to roll up my sleeves and be in the trenches with them without ever being a micromanager. And also being okay and embracing the fact that sometimes you're the one that has to step in and make the tough call. And that's not easy, but it's important that it's done swiftly. Yeah. So, you know, and I think in some cases, women are better at this. And and it's not to put a fine point on uh, make it a gender battle. But I think women by nature are empathetic. They have high emotional IQ if you will. Yes. Um, And I never forget what it felt like, for example, coming back from maternity leave, going back to work, how hard that was, kind of wanting to have it all, but dealing with that, those feelings. I mean, Mm -hmm. my children are much older now, but I, I will never forget what that felt like. And, you know, I think in ways, you know, when I have young women or the first time mothers on my team that are having those kind of experiences, um, I can relate. Yeah, I can relate. Yeah, that's awesome. I really like what you just said. And I think sometimes we're told we're too emotional, but sometimes that can be a strength of ours as well, sounds like. For sure. Yeah. For sure. But, you know, and and then being able to be that kind of hard decision maker, don't settle, you know, strive for perfection, but realize it's about progress, not perfection. And, (laughs) you know, think think of the time that you put in on the practice court. It's not just time right? You didn't just, you didn't just go out on the practice court for two hours and hit a bunch of forehands, backhands, you know, serves volleys, overheads. It was putting the time in to feel like you were making the improvement on whatever the particular stroke was or on your movement or your speed. And an athlete understands that you can't just check boxes and go through motions. You really have to make sure that you're putting the time in and that you're making the progress. Mm -hmm. And that's, And it's hard to even explain. Mm -hmm. I think you know what I'm saying, but it's more than just time. It's about really, did I do what I needed to do to get myself to that next level? Am I creating that that muscle memory Mm -hmm. the way it needs to be created so that under pressure I can draw on it? It's an automatic. And it's the same in business. You can't just kind of say, oh, well, I did that. We had that meeting. We talked about that. You know, you have to be the type of business person, individual contributor or leader of a large team that really can be honest and say, but are we where we need to be? Did that meeting really accomplish what we set out to accomplish? Or do you need to double back and do something extra there to make sure that there's alignment and that that muscle memory is being created for the organization? Yeah. Now, how do you deal with like a team culture situation if you've got the team that's not on the same page or you need better morale? Yeah, that's super important. I'm glad you asked that because if you don't have that, you know, it's very hard to accomplish your goals. I think we're super fortunate to work in the tennis industry or the running industry or any you know outdoor athletic space. Mm-hmm. Like we're doing fun stuff. We're working mm-hmm. on fun things. Um, yeah. We 
can't take ourselves too seriously. We're very, very fortunate. But, Definitely. you know, getting like-minded people that are as excited and passionate about the space as you are, but also bringing in diverse teams that come at things from different experiences and places is is super important too. Yeah. And I know you guys have that at Hoka because I know one of your innovators is from France, I think, correct? Yeah. Our founders are from France and we are a global business with team members, you know, across the globe. Yeah. And, but doing more and more and trying to do more and more, you know, every day to to create a team that's even even more diverse in their in their backgrounds it's super important and especially in a sport like tennis or like running which and here based in Santa Barbara California it's a real challenge cuz it's not the communities are not the most diverse. And so what are we doing to try and make sure that we're not just talking to ourselves? Good point. <laughs> yeah. Noted. Now who inspires you? Oh gosh, I'm inspired by a lot of people and things. And and sadly, these days, I'm uninspired by a lot of people and things too. (laughs) But I think it's, you know, I I don't know, is there's one person, I just reread one of Maya Angelou's books, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. I love love her. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've been reading a little bit of Brene Brown, like so many people have, and she's so awesome. A group of uh, us from the Hoka team went and saw Simon Sinek in LA a couple weeks ago, and that was that was super interesting. So, you know, I'm lucky in my position; I have access to to a lot of different things and get bits and pieces from everywhere. And I'm inspired by my teams. You know, I have these really cool, energetic, passionate, hard driving teams, and um, they make me better every day. That's awesome. And I love that you just said Brene Brown, because I actually, one of my mentors here at Tennis Warehouse, I wrote out one of her integrity quotes today. And it was kind of about like, you know, the people with integrity are doing the things and it's not always the fun or the easy choice. And it's kind of what you already referenced. And she's one of my favorites as well. So You have Brene Brown vibes, so. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) I'll take it. Yes. What do you do after a rough day? How do you recalibrate after it's been a rough week or a rough day? Well, you know, it isn't so rough here in Santa Barbara. So (laughs) after a rough day, I take a nice walk on one of our beautiful beaches with our dog, Moxie, and whichever one of my daughters might be in town or with my husband, Chong. I have a Peloton. I, yes. <laughs> I hop on my Peloton. I run a little bit. Um, I don't, I've not been hitting as many tennis balls these days, okay. but I was big into, into platform tennis back East before we moved. Nice. And um, my husband and I were talking about this morning, like hitting a few more tennis balls. He's yeah. been playing a lot more than I have. Yeah. I was going to ask if the family plays tennis. Does your husband play? Do your daughters play? Yeah. So, so John plays probably three days a week. All the girls learned how to play tennis. Mm-hmm. Sarah, our youngest, is uh, is on the team at Williams College. Okay. Um, the other girls don't play that that much anymore, but you know, a little bit here and there. It's something we do when we're all together, just for fun. Very cool. And yeah. then I was going to ask also if you did take up running as a more serious sport, because I feel like as tennis players we hate running, but then we like get into it when we're older. Right. Yeah. You know, I always I, I always ran, you know, as part of training for tennis, mm-hmm. and, but probably more like short distance sprint mm-hmm. stuff yeah. and <laughs> lateral movement and back. I probably is better running backwards than I, that I was ever running forwards, but yeah, I mean, you know, running is that, is that great sort of 
activity that you can do at a super high competitive level, or you can just put your shoes on and go out the door and go as fast or slow, as short or far as you want. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing better than that for kind of clearing the mind and having a reset. A hundred percent. It's a good thought process. It's a good mental break. It's just, it's awesome. Yes. Yes. Now let's just do a few tennis specific questions. I think you're going out to the BMP next month. So who's your favorite player right now? Well, I mean, Coco is sort of taking everyone by storm. So it's, it's a blast watching her. And then I think what's happening in the men's game is is just incredible to see how Roger and Rafa and Djokovic are all still at the top. And then it's sort of a changing of the guard mm-hmm. in the women's side, which which is a lot of fun to watch. I think you just don't know what's going to happen tournament to tournament. And the tennis channel is always on in the background at my house. And it's so much fun to see what's going on there. Are you shocked ever to see how much the game has changed since when you were playing professionally? I mean, yeah, the equipment has changed so much. It's such an aggressive game, but you know, I'm not shocked. It's, it's every sport needs that the, the innovation to take things to the next level. And, you know, it's, it's exciting to see what the human body can do, you know, and it's, it's exciting to see how athletes are, you know, staying at their peak so much longer, whether that's, attributed to the equipment or the the nutrition and recovery science that we have now. But yeah, it's spectacular. Very cool. Now, I just kind of wanted to end. I want you to give us your best advice to maybe a young, I was going to say a young lady, but honestly, you're giving great advice. It doesn't matter if you're female or male. So your best advice to someone that's growing up and, you know, maybe they're not sure what to study or maybe they're not sure if they should try to go pro or maybe they're not sure to go to college or not. Just give them the best advice to accomplishing the dreams that they currently have. Well, that's a really good question, right? And it's different for everyone. There's so much advice out there, but you really have to listen to yourself Mm -hmm. and follow your heart. And you don't want to leave any stone unturned. So I kind of look at life as chapters. And, you know, you're writing, you're writing each one of those chapters. And if you really want to do something and try something, then go for it. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. The next chapter is there waiting to be written. So don't have any regrets. You know, follow follow your passion, which is, of course, what everyone says, you know, but it, there has to be some practical reality to it, too, of right. course. Right. Yeah. Keep dreaming. Keep going after it for sure. I think that's about it. If there's anything else that you would like to touch on, I'm happy to hear it. <laughs> well, no, thank you very, very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I love what you're doing, Michelle and, and Tennis Warehouse. So keep it up. And thanks for letting me be part of it. I, I, oh my gosh. I appreciate it. Tennis has been a big part of who I am, and um, and it's fun to sort of reminisce about that and be able to appreciate all that the sport has afforded me. So thank you. Definitely. And we'd be happy to chat with you again. I mean, you've got such a wealth of knowledge that I think it would be informative for our listeners to hear multiple episodes with you. So if you're ever interested in coming back, <laughs> we'd I love, love to have you. Yes. And next thank time you. I'm in Santa Barbara, I might have to pop in and say hello. Please, please. We're not too far away. Vice versa. 
Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and got some great tips from Wendy. She's doing some amazing things down at Decker's and I think she's very inspiring. So it was really fun chatting with her. Now I want to make sure that you guys are getting to hear everything that you want from us. So please send in any questions you have, or if you want to continue the conversation, reach out to us as well. And you can just simply email us at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com and subscribe, rate and review. Let your friends know about these talk tennis episodes and let us know what you like, what you don't like and what you want to hear more of. Hope you guys are having a great week and until next time, happy hitting. Happy hitting.